Turn your Bible as we continue our series from the Luke and Gospel. We find ourselves this morning in Luke chapter 9. Great to God. Great to God. How do you measure a church's success? What really counts when it comes to being a great church? Some would say that's simple, Pastor. You, you look at the number of baptism a church has, and that would tell you all about her success. Kind of like notches in a gun, baptism numbers. The more you notch, the more successful you are. I guess that would be one way to measure, although I'm not really sure it's an accurate measure. Are we making disciples? Are we calling people to be committed to Christ or are we just getting people wet? There's, there's a difference. Still others would say you should look at the church's budget. The bigger the budget, the more the ministries, the greater the good of the church. Of course, people should tithe to their church. Of course, the budget ought to be able to undergird all the missions and ministries the church is called to do. But we know how God measures gifts. Look at the widow's mind. I'm not sure that money is the best means by which to measure the success of a church. How about beautiful buildings? The more beautiful buildings, the better the brethren who are inside of them, some might argue. Of course, despite the fact that we have one of the most elaborate sanctuaries outside of European Seoul, I don't think that's a good measure. I know that deep down in the first century that house churches had the most glorious of all the saints under simple thatched roofs. And I've worshiped in brush arbors in Uganda where the power of the spirit was evident and people were changed for the gospel. You think about it. How do you measure a church's greatness? We'll come back to that question. But as we turn to our text today and Luke chapter 9 which asks the question, how can individual believers be great? How can individual believers be great? Look at verse 46 of Luke 9. An argument arose among them as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, this is the one who is great. It's an interesting phenomena in scripture. I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not. When disciples are arguing in the gospels over who is greatest when the kingdom of God fully comes to fruition, it almost always follows a section where Jesus is telling them that he, the Son of Man, must suffer, must die, must rise. Odd. Even while Jesus is focusing on his sacrificial suffer, suffering, his, his service for all of humankind, the disciples are arguing over which one of them is going to get to ride shotgun when Jesus takes the throne. Well, look, at ver look above at verse 44. It happens in this instance. It'll happen again in the Gospel of Luke. It happens in the Gospel of Mark. I'll show you in a moment. 
Look at Luke 9, 44. Let these words sing into your ears. For the Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement. And it was concealed from them so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the statement. He's just told them before they're arguing about who's the greatest that he, the Son of Man, will be delivered over into the hands of evil men. Now, don't turn to it for time's sake, but in Mark 9, we have a parallel story where a child ends up being the hero of this story as well. But listen how this one goes. I want you to notice Jesus is talking about his suffering, his death, and his resurrection, and they're arguing over who's the greatest. Mark 9, 31. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered to the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? And they kept silent. For on the way, they discussed with one another which one of them was the greatest. Again, Jesus talking about his suffering, specifically his death and his resurrection. They're talking, whispering behind Jesus as they go to Capernaum. And Jesus says, what were you talking about? For he knows they were arguing over which one of them is the greatest of the disciples. It's a tradition here. I'm going to suffer and they're arguing over who's the greatest. He speaks of sacrificial suffering servanthood and they're talking about power and position and prestige well i want you to know some things about this text first of all everybody wants to be somebody everybody wants to be somebody look at verse 46 and there arose an argument among them as to which one of them was the greatest it can happen happen sometimes in churches can it Whenever a project or a ministry is launched, people discover that their own ambitions and ideas get mixed up with the project and their feelings get hurt and they want their way or the highway and, well, it's saying I'm the greatest and my ideas are the best. Everybody wants to be somebody. When you ask the question, who is the greatest in God's kingdom? The implication is, am I not the greatest in the kingdom? Am I not the greatest in the kingdom? That's the real question. Everybody wants to be somebody. We struggle. We push ourselves up. We try to reach the top in our own arena. Well, there's a second thing I want you to see. Jesus uses a different means to measure. Jesus uses a different means to measure. The disciples, each implying that he ought to be the greatest in the group, is shocked when Jesus picks up a child. A child out of the midst and says, this child is a picture of true greatness. The argument among the disciples was ugly and inappropriate. Is comparative and competitive. It diverts praise away from God and gives praise over to themselves. But Jesus measures by different means. 
Jesus measures by the means of a child. Jesus teaches a lowness, a humbleness, a spirit. And whoever welcomes the lowliest, the child, has shown humility appropriate to the kingdom of God. Everybody wants to fawn over, to extend hospitality and kindness and service to those that are great. But Jesus says we ought to offer hospitality to the marginalized of society, to the child, because that's the same as welcoming Jesus. And welcoming Jesus is the same as welcoming God, he's arguing. In the reign of God, there is no room for selective hospitality. Now you ponder that for a moment. In the reign and rule of God, there is no room for selective hospitality. In the first century, children were essentially non-persons. They were kept by women who were seen as subservient to men and the children were further down the social ladder. Only slaves were lower than children in the first century. Greatness here is a word of measurement. And Jesus measures greatness by a different means. The word greatness is translated simply by the word more. It measures more. You see the disciples, each one of them, wanted to be more, measure more than his brother. But they're measuring in the wrong direction. They're trying to measure up as they measure more and true greatness is not in how far we rise above others in status or fame or achievement. But rather true greatness, Jesus says, is measured in how low and how far we're willing to go down and humility and service to the least of these. And when we've done it to the least of these, we've done it to Jesus, he's arguing. Sometimes we feel if we minister to a significant person, then we ourselves have somehow become significant. But to minister to the insignificant, let's say to a child, the bottom of the social ladder in the first century is equated with being insignificant ourselves. There is no point in being at the side of Jesus unless one is humble enough to be at a child's side. There's no point at being at Jesus' side unless one is humble enough himself to be at a child's side. We were offered a ministry in church. No, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do this, and I can't believe you thought of me for, for that. Jesus ties the word greatness here to the word receive and welcome. Greatness is receiving and welcoming the lowly, being hospitable to those who no one else wants to be hospitable to. To give the one that is lower than us the things we enjoy. To give to the one who is lower than us the things that we enjoy. There's a little boy and his school was having a can drive. You remember those, they still have them at school and everybody brings their canned goods from their mom's pantry and brings them. There was a little boy who came home and said his, 
his class was having a contest and they were trying to get the most canned goods and could he get some for the pantry? His mother said, you just help yourself. And the little boy ran in there and he got some beets off the shelf and some succotash off the shelf and some spinach off the shelf and some hominy off the shelf and all the things that he himself would never ever want to eat. His mother came alongside and looked at his bag and started putting in a bunch of SpaghettiOs. No, no, he objected to that. He liked SpaghettiOs. He didn't want to part with those SpaghettiOs. His mother patiently explained to him what it means to be hospitable. It means that we accept the needs of others as, as, as important as our own needs. And we offer to others that which is valuable to us. When we're hospitable, Jesus says, we take the child. We offer the child what's important to us. And we see her needs as, as important as our needs. Who would treat a child that way? Jesus says it's an act of greatness. In fact, in Mark's version, it goes this way. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last. He must be servant of all. You measure greatness by how you treat the most marginalized. You want to know who you are. Look how you treat those who can give you nothing. You can gain nothing from him or from her. That's Jesus's new measure of greatness. Jesus doesn't care anything about how you treat the powerful, the popular, or the prestigious. Jesus cares about how you treat the lowly and the lonely and the left out. And everybody wants to rush to the side of the powerful and the influential, and no one wants to serve someone he deems less worthy than himself. And Jesus says that's exactly the measure of greatness. Have you noticed all the paradoxes of Christianity? We, we see the unseen things as Christians. We conquer by yielding as Christians. We find rest under the weight of a yoke, Jesus says. We're exalted, like the text today, by being humble. We become wise by being fools for Christ's sake. We are made free by becoming Christ's bondservant. We possess all things when we have nothing. We wax strong by being weak. We have triumph by defeat. We find victory by glorifying in our suffering along with Christ. And oddly enough, through his resurrection, we live only forever by dying. And we reign, Jesus says today, by serving. The tombstone of Thomas Jefferson has an epitaph that he wrote himself. It says, Thomas Jefferson wrote his own epitaph. It says, here is buried Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence, of the Statutes of Virginia for Religious Freedom, and father of the University of Virginia. There is no mention of the fact that he was governor of Virginia, minister to France, Secretary of State, President of the United States, he told his daughter, the things that are not on my inscription are the things that people did for me. 
The things that are on it are the things that I did for the people. Can you imagine anyone being president of the United States and not putting it on the tombstone? Jesus measures by different means. Jesus also measures by what we ourselves have done for others, not by what others have done for us. Here's a third and final thing. Children are the choice for the Christ. Children are the choice for the Christ. It's Mother's Day. Mothers are honored because they choose children over themselves every day in every way. Anyone more sacrificial than a mother? I can't think of anyone. In Matthew's gospel, we have a story when all the children are being brought to Jesus and the disciples scold the crowds, the families, get the children away from Jesus. He didn't have time for them. And Jesus said, that's exactly what I have time for. Let the little children come to me. He laid his hands upon them and he blessed them. When no one else had time for the least and the lowest, Jesus had time. When no one else wanted to bless them, Jesus blessed them. You want to have a great ministry in the eyes of Christ? Work with children. Every one of us in this room can remember that Sunday school teacher who changed our lives because she was patient with us, he was patient with us, they believed in us, they made us feel important and loved and cared for, they valued us in a way that others had not yet valued us. I can remember them in my life, Ms. Reese, and Ms. Sherman, Ms. Leopard, Mr. Forrest, and Mr. Pearson willing to minister to the least of these. Think about that school teacher in your life who's been so patient with you when the system is about to give up on you. I can name you all of my teachers, Ms. Kaiser, first grade, Ms. Huey, second grade, Ms. Hazelwood, third grade, Ms. Campbell, fourth grade, and Ms. Nunes, fifth grade. And that's a long time ago, but I shall never, ever, ever, ever forget those ladies. You remember her name in your life because they gave their self for you. You want a life that really matters to God? Jesus says, receive the children. It's like receiving me. We know how God measures greatness in us by how we treat the least of these. But back to the original question, how, how do we measure the greatness of a church? Jesus uses a different means of measure than all the world, and, and how do we measure the greatness of a church? I would suggest you measure the greatness of a church not by the number that come in, but rather by the number that go out. Those that are sent out in the name of the gospel. How many people have gone out from First Baptist Church of Amarillo to minister around the world? How many different countries and how many different ministries and ministers are, are from within these walls, called by this Christian community, cared for by you as children, more than we can count and, and more than we can measure? We can't keep up with it, really. 
When you invest your life in the children of this church, you're investing your life in changing the whole world for the cause of Christ. You're preparing her, you're preparing him to go out in the name of Christ to be the presence of Christ in whatever community he or she is called. When someone sees a child receive Christ, someone says, oh, nothing much today, just a couple of kids coming for baptism. Yes, just a kid who is the greatest in the eyes of the Christ, who has a whole life left to live for the kingdom. Jesus says, whoever receives the least of these and cares for them and helps them dream dreams and encourages them, those are going to be the greatest in my kingdom. Thank you for making choices as a church that lead little ones to the kingdom, to the Christ, and to his people. So they're arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus calls a child over and says, you want to really be great? Be like this. Let's pray. Oh God, sometimes our arrogance and our ego, sometimes we measure, thing as, measure things as other men measure them and God forgive us when we do. Remind us as a church family that all the, the measures of humanity mean nothing to us, but rather we want to be measured as faithful servants in your eyes and raising up the next generation to hear and heed the call of Christ and to go out into all the corners of the earth telling the good news of the gospel. There were sinners in need of a Savior and Jesus has died and rose again and we can die and rise with him too. In his name we pray. Amen.